0: Hello everyone and welcome back. It's been a while. Uh we we had a wonderful summer. I hope you did too. But we are back in action uh for uh season three, episode six of the Minnesota Apsy Podcast, and we couldn't be more delighted to have our guest here today, Saeed Shaie and uh Saeed, great to have you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Saeed is a a teacher, an author, and a career navigation coach and has a a lot of awesome stories to tell and philosophies and uh, really looking forward to to diving in this uh, with you today, Saeed. Um, As everybody knows, before we we get too into it, we always like to talk a little bit about what Minnesota APSE stands for and, and National APSE you know what we're all about, um, because if you're joining us for the first time, and we're very happy to have you. If you are, or if you don't know a lot about APSI, which stands for the Association for People Supporting Employment First, uh, we are the only membership organization, national membership organization, that solely promotes competitive, integrated employment, real jobs, real wages for everyone. We believe everybody that wants to work can work. And uh, the members of our organization believe that. And and we do all sorts of things to promote that idea. And one of them is having a podcast like we're here today. So that's where you have uh, – you found your way to, Saeed. Yeah,
1: I'm glad I did too.
0: <laughs> well, we are – we're really glad you did too. Uh, you know, I did a little research this morning on your website – uh, Learn just a, a little bit about you and i'm very impressed with with uh all the things that you've been been up to and uh looking forward to, to hearing more about that before we get into uh learning more about saeed we just want to uh, describe ourselves uh visually for for anyone out there uh that would benefit from that uh i am uh, a white male i'm i'm bald and uh so there's some synergy here, as uh, as you'll hear, uh, and uh, I keep it I keep it tight. Uh, I'm wearing a just a you know typical long sleeve button button down shirt today. I have a red <coughs> beard as well, and I'm wearing blue jeans.
1: And I am first things first bald as well. Uh, <laughs> I'm a black male. Um, I am wearing dark sunglasses. I have a beard which is also black. I'm wearing a baby blue or sky blue shirts um yeah yeah
0: all right fantastic okay so let's let's get into it uh saeed we'd love to learn you know more about you can you tell us a little bit more about your your background
1: (laughs) yeah so you know um first things first i am uh disabled i have several disabilities i'm autistic with adhd as well as complex ptsd um and I feel that it's important uh, to lead with that because that is the thing that affects me most in my life and how I navigate the world. Um, background, you know, I uh, I'm not from Minnesota. I came here in about 2017, but I, I grew up in Seattle. Um, and I've uh, I've always been into words. Language language has always been a safe place for me. I've always wanted um, to find quiet spaces. And so uh, reading was one of the best ways to do that, and that led me towards, you know, disappearing into the worlds that I found in books, uh, which eventually led me to writing, um, and in a long roundabout way, I eventually found a way to study writing, and I did that um, all the way to the master's level, um, got an MFA in creative writing from the University of Minnesota. Um, And I have written a book, uh, Are You Borg Now?, which was a Minnesota Book Award finalist in 2021. No, 2022. I can't remember. One of those two. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm also a photographer. I've been more focused on that practice um, in my creative life um, lately. And I'm a disability advocate. And that's why I love doing things like this, because I am a late diagnosed um, with my disabilities, I only found out about two years ago. And so it's really important for me to talk about my life experiences um, so that if there's anyone out there that sees similarities, um, they can perhaps go down the road of getting the correct diagnosis and getting the supports that they need.
0: If if you're willing, uh, I, I definitely want to talk uh, about your book. Um, but, but before we do, if you're willing, I'd, I'd love to hear more about how that experience was finding out two years ago um, about your diagnosis, and and you know how did you find out, and and where did you go from there, and how is it uh, how has it changed your life? Yeah, so
1: I got diagnosed by another autistic person, which is very often how it happens. Um, I mean, initially, so I had an online Facebook friend. We met up in person within five minutes of being. In space with me she was like do you know that you're autistic i said what are you talking about and that just led me down i didn't know what she meant at first i didn't know what it meant to be autistic what it looked like all of those things so i just started doing research um started reading online about it started seeing people's firsthand accounts and i started seeing explanations for things that i had questions about my entire life and nobody had you know what i mean an explanation for it um Things such as simple as why I have a hard time with eye contact, why it's so hard for me with bright lights um, and loud noises um, and temperature changes and a whole slew of other things, um, which everyone just chalked up to, you know, like everyone has something that's different about them. So once I confirmed it with myself, then I went down the road of trying to get a formal diagnosis, which was very challenging um, because I English is my second language. Um, but my parents' English skills, um, they're, they're adequate for sure. Um, but they came to this country at a much older age than I did. So it's a lot harder to learn a language when you're older. So a lot of the, um, places that I called, I remember one place specifically, they were like, well, if we want to, we don't usually test for adults, um, but if we do, we would have to have the parents in the room. Um, and we would need to ask them a lot of questions about their childhood and what they were like, what they did, et cetera, so that we can have more information. Um, and I was like, well, my parents can, you know, they can hold their own in English, but they're not going to be able to answer complex medical questions like that without an interpreter. And being a former medical interpreter myself, I'm like, I wouldn't want to be the one that's interpreting for them. That's against the code of ethics for interpreters and medical settings. And so it was a challenge to find a place that would just assess me without including my parents. And then eventually when I did, then it became an issue of, well, I do have insurance, but the insurance is not willing to pay for all of it and finding money to be able to pay for the rest. And along the way, um, finding out about the ADHD um, just from research and being like, I suspect that I might have that as well. Can you test for it? Turns out it's significantly harder to get insurance to pay for ADHD testing than autism testing, but it's, it's all not fun. Um, so that was, that was, that was a headache and a challenge. And it was an arduous process. And I think after I went through all that, the hardest part of the process was the actual diagnostic testing. It was like four hours of rigorous, intense neuropsychological evaluation That was so deep and probing and just challenged me in so many bad ways that, like, I fell apart for at least two weeks afterwards. Like, I was just a mess. And for a while, I regretted getting the formal diagnosis, but then. I was able to get accommodations. I was still finishing grad school at the time. I was able to get accommodations with that and get accommodations in workplace going forward. And also just, you know, in a day-to-day thing, people wouldn't be like, oh, well, like we in the autistic community, we believe that self-diagnosis is valid. If another autistic person didn't recognize the same traits they see themselves in me and didn't tell me, I would have never gone down this road. Um, and I didn't go get the formal diagnosis because I didn't know I was autistic. I had already confirmed it before then. I knew for months But I needed that because the outside world would not take me as seriously, um, and I would not get as much support as I need um, if I didn't have that. So ultimately, I think it was worth doing. Um, But you know, it's kind of a wash.
0: Yeah, that's that's a a very interesting uh, story, and uh, I give you a lot of credit for it. Sounds like you really advocated for yourself to to get what you need. I, I really appreciate you sharing sharing that with us, Saeed. So let's talk more about, uh, I wanna start with creative writing. Uh, you know, uh, you are an accomplished creative writer. Uh, you've written a book, you teach classes. Uh, a few m- moments ago when we were talking, you, you said that it's really your passion, you know, creative writing. I'd love to hear more about that, how you, are, when you knew you were passionate about it or how your passion developed towards creative writing. Yeah. So, you know, first and
1: foremost, it was it was something that always helped me um, and helped me understand myself. Um, You know, um, living with undiagnosed disabilities forces you to live a life that your body can't handle. And so you end up pushing yourself beyond your limits. And that tends to lead to a lot of social conflicts. And falling outs with people, um, misunderstandings, meltdowns, all types of things, just emotional overwhelm. And writing is one of the only things that i found ever helped me be okay with that. Because long before I had any type of, you know, diagnostic explanation or this is an autistic meltdown or you're being sensory overwhelmed or we have different communication methods that are leading to these, uh, you know, misunderstandings. All I knew was the head. I just kept hitting the wall and people were always mad at me for reasons I couldn't understand. And I just felt alone. And writing is the best thing for a person who feels alone. So it was always like um, something that soothed me and helped me and tried to help me make sense of the world around me. And It just means the world to me and it saved my life on countless occasions. So, you know, when I got to a different place in my life where I wanted to pursue something like as a career wise it only made sense to, like, to give all of me to writing because writing gave mm. all of itself to me.
0: Mm. Wow, that's that's very quotable in itself. And uh, I read a quote uh, from you as well that, that you know, the, the classes you like to teach um, – are are different, right? They're, uh, for, uh, folks that are neuro, uh, divergent, uh, perhaps have run into walls like you're talking about, you know, yourself. And I read a quote that said, it's easy if you write how your brain wants you to write. How did you come up with that? <clears throat> um, I've had to do a lot
1: of justifying for my approach to writing, um, to other writers especially in educational settings most most people approach engaging with the craft of writing in a very specific way um, a very traditional way that involves you write a draft you get feedback from someone you make edits you come back again you get more feedback you make more edits and then you are allegedly happy with this final product I don't like feedback. <laughs> I do not. I do not like feedback, especially when it's negative. I'm very sensitive to it. It breaks me down. Um, I like positive feedback. Um, it allows me to focus on the things that are working good and it makes me feel better about the work. Um, my mind generally likes not to be critiqued or attacked or told negative things about itself. And since I was writing about myself for most of my life, if you're critiquing my writing, my brain sees it as you're critiquing me and now we can't be friends and i have to block you i'm sorry not sorry but but that's how we do it in
0: 2023 listen
1: (laughs) i go to therapy but i also block people (laughs) um so as far as writing how your brain wants you to write um i've developed an approach that prioritizes each person's needs um allows them to come to writing exactly where they are a lot of Old school writing advice that is still very present teaches people that if you want to be a serious writer, you must write every day. You have to do it this way. What if you're someone with a chronic fatigue syndrome or you're some, someone with a disability, any type of disability, um, whether it's a parent or otherwise, and your body does not, your brain, your energy levels do not allow you to write in that way, but you have deep things that you need to explore that writing helps you do. What if you only write once a month? Are you not serious about your craft? And who's to say that that once-a-month writing isn't doing more for you than someone who's showing up to the page every single day and banging out 3,000 words, you know? At the end of the day, it's we all have different needs and abilities, and I believe in molding, helping everyone that I come across who I teach writing to, helping them find a practice of writing that helps them in a healthy way, that doesn't force them to be anything they're not. And I believe that the results are much more beneficial for um, both to the final product and what the writing world gets and to the person themselves and doing it another way.
0: It sounds like a really liberating approach, you know, that, uh, that allows each person to tap into and be comfortable with who they are and how they, how they write mm. and, and what works for them. Uh, that's, that's interesting because we do get what, whatever the profession is, mm. there's, there's the so-called experts, right? Who yeah. tell us the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think can tend to make us feel bad about ourselves if, well, we don't do it that way, right? Absolutely. So it sounds that extremely to liberating. Me. And it's you're teaching a class tomorrow, in, as a matter of fact, right? Is that going to be online or in person? Um,
1: yeah, no, that class is is, um, is in person at okay. the Loft Literary Center. Okay. Um, it's it's a, it's a teen class. It's called um, Writing as a Neurodivergent Teen. I think so. Yeah, I'm not good with titles. And, but it's, the, it's basically a, a neurodivergent approach to writing mm-hmm. for teen writers. Yeah, basically what I just talked about, but focused on a teen audience.
0: It's a that's exactly what it's called. I, I'm looking oh, it up here. I got this right. from your website this morning. Uh, it's called "Writing as a Neurodivergent Team." There I go doubting myself. There you go. <laughs> it's happening on September 23rd at the Loft. So, where is the Loft located these days? I know it used to be in Prospect Park. It's um, it's inside of a the Open Book ago. Building.
1: Um, I'm sorry. Open Book. Open Book. Yeah, in the Open Book Building on Washington Street. Um, uh, just it's like three blocks from the U.S. Bank Stadium.
0: Yeah. Ah. Okay. Yes. Now that you say that, I, I have seen it. I've driven by it and, and seen it. Okay. Very cool. Um, well, uh, tell us, you know, more about, you know, some of the things that you're doing now. We know that you're teaching. Uh, tell us, tell us about your, your book. It was, uh, in 2022, uh, and it's titled, as you said, Are You Bored Now? Uh, and I'm sorry i'm uh I'm not sophisticated with Borg, but isn't that a Star trek uh, reference okay so I'll look forward to hearing more about that <laughs> and uh, it was actually an award finalist for twenty twenty two Minnesota Book of the year. that's pretty darn impressive yeah i was
1: I was definitely very grateful for and not expecting it but very grateful um to have gotten that recognition um you know it's uh i used to think that because i'm an all or nothing thinker if you don't or i think it was was that talladega nights if you're not first you're last
0: oh yeah (laughs) one of the more quotable movies Uh, (laughs) i love that movie
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, in, in in retrospect, it definitely it opened a lot of doors for me. Um, and it was it was a big accomplishment to have someone's first book be recognized at that level, um, especially in my category, memoir and non- creative nonfiction, which is historically the most competitive category. Um, so just to make it to that stage was a major accomplishment that I didn't realize until um, I moved further away from that moment, because in that moment, all I could think about was <laughs> I lost, you know, Um but it's all good. The book, the book is about ah uh, me. It's 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 an experimental memoir. It has different elements to it. Um, one of the things that I needed to do with that book was write about traumatic past events in a way that did not re-traumatize me or protected me as much as possible while engaging with those traumatic past events. And so I stumbled upon a format that was working for me. Um, Partially I stole from things that I saw in other books that were like calling out to me, partially from conversations with with my mentor, Douglas Kearney, who is an award-winning poet and professor at the University of Minnesota. Um, But it was a a self-dialogue technique between me, my adult self, and then also my inner child, where we have this conversation extended convo throughout the book and we're just asking each other questions. And the reason for the title: Are you Borg now? B O R G. The Borg are—I'll explain it. I guess now. Yeah, the Borg are a species um, in Star Trek. They're like the big evil, one of the big evil species. Mm. And they go around from planet to planet, um, assimilating entire planets. And so when they defeat you, they don't just like kill you and take all your resources. Once they finally defeated you, they—they they make you a part of their collective. Um, you become—they call it literally assimilation. Um, The Borg, they're like cyborgs too. So they're like half human and then also have half all these cybernetic implants. Um, You become a drone in their collective. You no longer have an individual voice. You don't have individual thoughts. You don't have any culture, faith, language, background. All of that is erased. You become a mindless drone that is plugged into the gigantic collective, serving the needs of the collective. Um, Whatever the hive mind needs for you to do, that's what you do. You might have been a farmer in your past life. You may end up becoming um, someone who's the ship's engineer because that is the role that is needed for you. Um, yeah, so I asked myself at some point in the book, are you Borg now? One of my versions is asking the other version, are you Borg now? Have you become Borg now? Have you been so fully assimilated into whatever it is that you were trying to come become <clears throat> that you no longer have an individual sense of self, you know?
0: Which is a really deep uh, question. Um, well, we don't want to spoil it for the readers. I'm looking forward to. Do we get the answer to that question if we uh, read the book? Um, no, there are no answers in that book. Yes, there are no answers. More questions than answers. Absolutely, yeah. a whole lot of questions. <laughs> but, yeah, which is uh, which is also uh, a great way to uh, allow the reader to explore their own. Yeah. Sort of inner selves, if, if you will. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, know, just as you were talking, I think as human beings do, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm relating it back to, to my own life mm-hmm. and, uh, some of those, those concepts of, uh, you know, my inner child and in those conversations and how they relate now. Uh, it's really a fascinating concept. Did you, you mentioned your mentor, uh, Douglas, I believe you said, uh, did you sort of come up with this concept together or uh, it's, uh, mm. it's really an interesting approach? No, no. It, um, I think
1: the way my mind processes information, um, I absorb bits and pieces and it coalesces over time and then eventually it comes out in the writing and I don't have language to explain what I'm doing while I'm doing it. It just kind of comes out. Um, And so that's why it's always been historically hard for me to talk about my writing because I couldn't break down to you the specific mechanisms or the reasons. All I know is I love asking questions. I love talking about this stuff and I love absorbing information from all different types of art and things that might not even be art. And my mind just moves it around in the background while I'm doing other things maybe I'm playing Madden or something and then eventually at some point I'll decide to write and I might not even be sure what I'm going to write and halfway through something pops out and I just go with it and that's exactly what happened with this I was in a coffee shop and you know I was writing and I just felt like asking myself a question and then I responded to the question and that was it for the next like three months that's all I did it was just a flurry it came out all at once
0: That is that is really cool. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. Will you autograph it for me when I get my copy? Absolutely, excellent, Uh, awesome. Um, And you also, just outside of teaching and and writing, you have been helping some folks with their careers as sort of a career navigator. uh, You know, kind of um, uh, um, advocate, if you will. And uh, tell us more about that. What's that experience been like? Yeah, um,
1: it's been it's been educational. It's been rewarding. Um, um, at times challenging, but overall, uh, definitely the type of mission driven work that I've been interested in doing for a while. Um, you know, I was focused on writing and teaching uh, for the last I don't know maybe five years. And the more I became interested in understanding how I relate to the world via disability, the more I learned about how things are, Um, and the more I became interested in helping others. Um, I've always wanted to help others, but working in a role or a, a field that allowed me to directly impact other disabled people's lives um, because I have my own challenges for sure I'm <laughs> uh, yeah the don't let don't let the, the accolades fool you like life is challenging for me most of the time um, I'm grateful for the supports that I do have um, and for the people in my life um, but I also recognize that I have um, um, strengths too um, and those strengths and the experiences that I've had could be used to help other people who also have challenges who also have strengths because we all we all have um, we all have different, Ways of being in this world, Um, so it's it's been it's been good. It's been good overall for sure.
0: That's uh, that's great. Yeah, and I I completely agree with that. You know, and it it relates really back to something you talked about with your your teachings and and writing, and that you're helping people kind of tap into their strengths and their styles as a writer, and not be not be afraid to to sort of proceed that way. Just because maybe the quote unquote experts are telling us you need to do it a different way. It's a lot like, you know, the, what APSI really promotes and supports, the customized employment practices that are out there are, they're not a one size fit all belief. It's a belief that anybody that wants to work can work and everybody will have their own individual path to get there. A lot like, you know, what you're talking about with your writing. So I could Mm -hmm. see how as a, uh, career navigator, uh, in supporting other people that, that, just that concept would be, be helpful. And, uh, and I like what you say about we all have challenges and we all have strengths. Uh, yeah. I haven't met anyone that doesn't fall into that category. No, Absolutely. You know, we all, we all get support and we get it in different ways. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great stuff. Um, well, I'd love to, you know, uh, Actually, I want to go back to, to something you said about, um, Borgs and different planets. Just a question for you. I've been yeah. hearing a lot about this, uh, I think, it, what's it called? The, uh, something Web Web Johnson or something like that telescope. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Have you been, have you been following, telescope. what's it called again? I think it's, uh, something, the Some, Webb telescope. Something Webb. Yeah. Uh, let's, 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 uh, let's defer to our producer here. Do you know the name of it? James Webb. Mm. Okay, I knew there was a J in there. The James Webb Webb Telescope. Have you been uh, looking at some of that?
1: Yeah, I've seen some of the images for sure. Images? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're absolutely breathtaking, mind-blowing.
0: Yeah, it really is mind-blowing to just think about uh, the galaxies that could exist out there or do exist. Yeah. But I guess, you know, of course this isn't a. we're not taking a position here i'm just yeah you know, I don't everybody might not believe that, but uh mm. I find it absolutely fascinating and uh when you were talking about the borgs going from planet to planet yeah I'm it wondering made me like how about many, it.
1: Yeah, what if there's a galaxy out there right now where there's mm-hmm. a gigantic battle for the yeah. control of the galaxy between two or three major species that are technology right. events. And then all these other smaller yeah. species are just kind of like yeah. watching, waiting to see who wins yeah. is it the benevolent rulers or the, the more <laughs> the violent rulers Who's gonna, what's going to happen. And right. we're over here worried about, oh man.
0: And if, if, and if there's planets like ours, how are they doing it? You know, how did they evolve as a, yeah. to, you know, whatever they call themselves, whether Absolutely. it's human beings or, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. <clears throat> so let's uh, on sort of that expansive mindset. Let's talk about hopes and dreams. You know, we always like to, as we're starting to wind down, you know, ask uh, ask our guests our guests what are the hopes and dreams you have? You know, for it's a big question, but for the landscape of employment, you know, for for people with disabilities. You know, it's. Hmm.
1: Mm. as someone who has struggled to get accommodations um myself um one of the reasons as i said earlier that i was forced to go get that paperwork the formal diagnosis was because at the time my school was giving me a hard time about getting accommodations they wanted me to teach in person and i was like i don't have the ability right now um i can only do online and it was like after when when that first pivot back to in-person was happening mm-hmm. after the after the corona. Um, and so I had to go through hell just to be able to get the support that I needed. And it's been a similar story. Um, and I've seen a similar story now in my current role. And just seeing how challenging it is for people to get very, very, very simple and easily doable accommodations from these gigantic corporations. Um it's just at the end of the day, what it comes down to is ableism and people not recognizing disabled people's humanity and saying, well, because you have challenges in this area, it's just it's not going to look good for us. You know what I mean? And it's just like, what are we doing here? Like life is way too short and people are in entirely too much pain for us to be to be telling people um, how their disability is an inconvenience to us as 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 an employer or whatever. And I'm not singling anyone out, but it's just it's a common theme that I see that I have seen from lived experience from work, from other friends that I've talked to. Um, so my hope for change in this world would be to allow people to be who they are um, and accept them for who they are and not to have to make them jump through all these hoops. Um, I remember one employer before I had a formal diagnosis um, other than just, I guess, depression and anxiety before, before all this stuff. Um, they made me jump through hoops for a year, for a year. And I had to, contact my therapist and get this paperwork and fill out this form. And long story short, they were just yanking my chain. Like they just really wanted me to get out of there and making the work a hostile environment for me. And I was like, why didn't you just say that? I would have left. Why did you put me through a year of hardship and emotional turmoil? Um, So whether it's in a work setting or in a school setting, because there's a similar thing with, with higher ed. um, I'm not as familiar with, with the accommodation process for like um, K through 12, but for higher ed, there's this clunky, gigantic, overburdened system of trying to get accommodations that you have to go through with this Disability Resources Center. And then they send a letter out to your professor. And at the end of the day, the professor is the one who decides whether he's going to give you accommodations or not, or he or she. They. Um, so it's like, it's like one of the reasons why I design my classes the way I do whenever I teach is I don't require you – what if you're someone like me who doesn't have a diagnosis or who isn't even aware that they have a diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Something as simple as ADHD makes it extremely challenging to do assignments on time, to be on time in class, to class, to, to miss class sometimes. If you don't have that, if you're not in that place in your life and you still want to be successful in school, who am I to say that the way I design my classes is going to impact you negatively? So my approach is I'm going to assume that everyone, everyone in my class has the potential to have some undiagnosed something or something that they're struggling with that they don't yet have language for um, and that they deserve to be just as much of a part of its class um, without being traumatized as anyone else. You know, um, I use an approach called Universal Design for Learning and it's this idea that... The the way we're doing things now where we have um, this siloed system of people have to go through the medical system. Once they do that, then they go through the disability center. Once they do that, then they go to the professor and they have to have negotiations Mm -hmm. with all of their professors every semester. Um, Instead of doing it that way, because that is so time consuming and taxing and challenging, especially for somebody with any type of illness or disability. Why don't we design our classes assuming that everyone needs to be met where they are without making them prove anything. Why not just believe them? Why not just help them? Why not get around the problem before it becomes a problem? So it's things as simple as not penalizing for late work, not taking attendance, um, not taking points off for something being misspelled or grammar or anything like that giving opportunities for extra credit, using labor-based contract grading, where uh, it's the idea that if you do the minimum work, if you did do this certain number of assignments throughout the semester, you are guaranteed this grade, even if you turn those assignments in. If you do slightly more than that, you will get a fantastic grade. So taking that approach, a trauma-informed, compassionate approach that assumes everyone has some type of challenges, even if they're not able to express it, and creating that safe learning environment, I find has had much better results in their overall takeaways and also their overall understanding of how to take care of themselves in education setting. So the same thing with that, same thing with the work settings, like just just let people be who they are. Help them. Don't make them jump through hoops. It's not hard. Like life is short. Don't make it any harder than it has to be. Yeah.
0: Just, you know, on that note, uh, there are systems out there uh, that, that we have to navigate through And, uh, like Saeed, I, I dream of a world where we could just meet people where they're at and, uh, and, uh, you know, help people, uh, with sort of just that open understanding, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a a really important message. Um, I just like to, you know, thank everybody for, for listening in today, you know, on behalf of Saeed, you know, thank you so much for, uh, for coming, uh, coming in and sharing this time with us and, and remember out there, if you can believe it, you can achieve it.